Hey guys, the following podcast is a Lady Gang Network and Podcast One production, which means it's going to be awesome. You know, if we're talking about this time of year and all the things that are coming up, let's also not forget about the nasal discomfort from dryness and congestion that can happen this time of year. My husband, poor thing, has suffered from this greatly forever, and the only thing that has ever helped him is Zycam. So do you have a history of nasal discomfort and dryness from congestion? Well, trust Zycam Nasal All Clear to keep your nose clean, clear, and healthy as a part of your daily routine. Only Zycam Nasal All Clear Nasal Swabs instantly deliver the triple action benefit of protecting, cleansing, and soothing your nasal passage. Not only that, but they're easy to use and convenient for on the go. It's a drug-free, non-saline-based moisturizing formula, and this product will quite literally help you swab it out. Zycam Nasal All Clear is available on Amazon. Search for Zycam Nasal All Clear. That's A-L-L-C-L-E-A-R. Thanks for listening and being a part of Mama Said, and thanks in advance for supporting these sponsors in this episode. They help us have this much fun with you every week for free. So enjoy the show. Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. No one said being a parent would be easy, but now you don't have to go through it alone. Actress and mother of two, Jamie Lynn Sigler, has teamed up with musician and stay-at-home mother of two, Jenna Paris, to create a safe place where you can confess your worst mommy sins and still feel like you're killing the mommy game. This is Mama Said with Jamie and Jenna. Our guest today is a clinical psychologist who specializes in helping people cope with anxiety, stress, building resilience, improving relationships, satisfaction, communication, and managing work-life pressures. She has an expertise in parenting and child development and equips parents with the tools to strengthen parent-child relationships, decrease problem behaviors, and build a more peaceful home. We are so excited to finally have her on the show. Please welcome to the show Dr. Rebecca Kennedy, but we are going to call her Becky. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to to chat and be here. Yes. I mean, so just even going through your Instagram feed, which by the way, everybody, it's Dr. Becky at home. I mean, every I, I was like, these are all topics I'm dying to talk about. You you say things that every time I read one of your posts, it just feels like it was just for me. And it's and it's so helpful. And so I'm so appreciative for that. Um, and we had some um, of our listeners write in with some questions, but if you don't mind, selfishly, because I'm one of the hosts of the show, I would love to start off with telling you a little bit about the situation in my home because I feel like there is no balance and there's no peace and there's a lot of stress in my house right now. And we're, we're struggling. So obviously, you know, in this time of COVID and everything that's going on, we could say this is just an isolated time, but right now it's not feeling like it's ending. So I feel like whatever is happening, I need to fix it. So here's the situation. I have a two and a half year old son named Jack who is amazing, but he is fire. I mean, he is tantrum. He has anger. He throws things at people. He hits. He does not sit still. If if you are, he will do things on purpose that he knows he's not supposed to. And it's frustrating because he truly gets my full attention all the time because of this. And it's still, and it's still happening. And I, I don't want to yell, but I don't know how to stop it. And it's this push and pull where he'll be like, I don't want mommy. And I'll be like, okay, I'm going to walk away. And then he'll scream, no, come back. And then I come back and he's like, no. And I'm like, what? do you want? 
Then I have my seven-year-old who is, who was never a tantrumy kid. So this is all new to me too, who is struggling in his own right because he's being homeschooled. He's in first grade. He's not with his friends. He's a really social kid. This is really hard for him. He's been able to articulate to me his emotions around this, which is great, but it's frustrating because me telling him to get on school or get off Roblox or you can't have your iPad during the week until Friday, he's constantly feeling like I'm telling him what he can't do or what he has to do. And it's causing friction in our relationship. And then when I try to be there with the two of them, he will try and play with his little brother. And then his little brother just starts destroying everything. Like he doesn't know to harmoniously play. So the older one gets frustrated. And then he's like, can I please just go play Xbox? And in an afternoon where my husband's trying to work in a meeting in our dining room and I'm here trying to manage everything, it's just easier to send him away. And so now I'm basically in this place, I'm sorry, I feel like this was a lot, of just no harmony, a lot of screaming, a lot of frustration, a lot of tears, and just, I I try to do quality time with my older one, even in between his Zooms, we'll play Battleship or Connect Four, but I'm stressed because I'm not getting what I, the time I need for myself, and it's, it's just been really hard, and I don't know what to do. I'm going to solve everything. I love you. Uh, No, um, I do have some thoughts, but I think that, and I think this is so true for so many of us right now, we have to start with the baseline. Just, I am not going to solve all my problems right now. We are living through a time when parenting is impossible. Like it's not hard. We're asked to be doing, to do something in an ongoing way that it is not really possible to quote, do well. And also I think it's important that none of us ask for it, right? Like nobody I know or nobody I like at least is like, oh, I want to be with my kids 24 seven for about six to nine months, 12 to 18. That, and here we are. And it's a huge loss of what we think of as parenting, right? Yeah. So I think that's really important to give ourselves that. And, you know, I think that's something I often start with what we need to give ourselves. And it's not just because self-care is nice and self-compassion is nice. Those are totally really nice and important things. We truly cannot treat other people any differently than we treat ourselves. The way we have our internal relationships determines our external relationships. And if we're not showing ourselves compassion and understanding and patience, and instead we have kind of a record of self-blame or self-criticism, then it's no wonder we get a short fuse with our kids because it's literally just evoking the same model that we're practicing on our own bodies over and over and over. So finding your own goodness in terms of I'm a good mom having a hard time. My kid is a good kid having a hard time. That's really always step one. Then the other thing, Jamie, that strikes me as almost across the board is I think one of the key things with kids sometimes when you're in stages like this is saying, I really, I can't solve this. And actually, that's more than just saying that because the more you try to solve a kid's problems when they're in an angsty stage, they actually don't get what they need, which is just feeling seen in not feeling good, right? So I think about this a lot in a marriage. Like, you know, Day, when you just feel awful and if your husband is like, oh, how about you do this? You do this. It's like, that doesn't feel good, right? You just want him to sit with you yes. say, wow, that sucks. And yeah, just be there for you. Yeah. And I think that that's the first thing that comes to mind with the like, mommy, come, mommy, go. You're, you know, Jack sounds angsty. He's full of angst. He's full of internal conflict. And that's not a bad thing. Those kids, I truly believe they're the kids who do like great things in the world when they harness 
all that energy. But I think words that come to mind for me a lot that aren't said enough as parents is something like, nothing feels right. You want me to come, you want me to go. When I go, that doesn't feel good. And when I come back, that doesn't feel good. Nothing feels good right now, which is a totally different intervention than you said you wanted me to come back. What, what, what do you mean? Why are you screaming? Right? Yep. He, you know, so many times when kids perseverate on something, we actually, if we look at the situation a little zoomed out, we can watch ourselves kind of get sucked into it. Instead of saying, oh, this just isn't a comfortable situation. If I actually just label that, that's what starts the regulation process because a kid feels like, oh, my mom gets it. And I know sometimes I have a really angsty kid. Um, and sometimes I feel like what she needs to hear a lot is just your buddy doesn't even really want to feel better right now. Like it just, everything feels bad and you want to make sure I know that. I believe you, mm-hmm. right? That's a really important phrase with kids that we don't say enough. Just literally, I believe you. I leave, it feels bad. I come back, it feels bad. Nothing feels as good as you want it to. And then I think you can extend that to, you know, going outside doesn't feel the way it used to. Masks all a sudden don't feel as good on your face as not having a mask. School doesn't feel the same. Seeing friends doesn't feel the same. And I think you then get into, you're like, oh, I kind of know what's happening here as he's acting out, nothing feeling good with me is I think he's trying to tell me in a two and a half year old way, like nothing really feels good in the world right now. And good for him for kind of like letting me know that that's what on, what's on his mind. Yeah. And before I pause, I think that that same theme extends to that time with siblings when you feel yourself pulled in many directions and you're like, I can't satisfy anyone. Just even saying that is huge to get our own grounding and for each child to feel seen. Right. I know I have three kids and something I say a lot is I wish I could clone mommy because you need a mommy and you need a mommy and you need a mommy. And I'm often thinking, and like, I need a mommy right now. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Right. And at least in that moment, each kid is like, yeah, that's literally what I need. And Mm. We, when you see a kid's wish in that way, I wish I could clone myself. I wish you could have my full attention and you and you and I can't and kind of coming back to that. And so nothing feels good. Roblox seems like that's so easy because that would just take your mind off everything and it would feel pretty good. And this is uh, it's pretty different from the three of us kind of <laughs> sitting here and it's kind of messy. And I get that. This is hard. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I, yeah, I always, I find too, it's like, it's almost like this Roblox thing has given him like a second family. Do you know what I mean? It's like a sense of community. He gets to laugh. He gets to joke. He he gets to be like his kid self. And so I I I struggle a lot with it because I don't want him sitting in front of his iPad for two straight hours. But he, I listen to him, and he's having the time of his life, and he's not seeing any of his friends any other way. Yeah. Look, I I think that video games and these kind of video games that allow for some type of networking, right? They they are really conflictual for parents because this is where so much socialization is occurring now more than ever. And I think a lot of parents are saying, oh, I feel like in some ways the effects of that aren't great on my kid, yet also it gives them something that does really seem to work for them. And I think there's no right answer. I think that you have to follow your gut as a parent. And there's definitely going to be times you're saying, okay, my kid did more of this game than I would have liked in a vacuum. And there's probably other times it's okay to hold yourself to, I'm going to go tolerate my child's tantrum because I do just think it's been enough video games. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to get ready to hold all of my child's anger and disappointment and all of that because that feels right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've been starting to try to make two like 
appointments with Bo where like even tonight I was like, hey, look, it's Friday night. It's movie night. It's you and I. And that's allowing me more than him to like let myself off the hook a little bit because with the push and pull because I know that I've made that time for him and I know it will fill him up and me up and we can feel like we had that connection. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's the first time I've done that. And I feel like I'm going to try and do that more. That that's huge. Right. I mean, and we know that even from research that one-on-one time with your child, that's kind of called something special that's planned in advance that they know they can count on where we're not on our phones, where we're doing something that has some fun or play or levity where we're really, really attending to a child five, 10 minutes of that, as often as you can, it does way more than an hour of two where we're kind of checking our texts or we're kind of distracted by someone else. It's really huge. And you used a phrase I think about a lot. It fills up our kid. That's what our kids really want. They want our full attention. And in this world that we all live in and technology, we all know like giving someone your full attention is, is tricky. It doesn't just happen yeah. naturally, right? Yeah. So- I think that you're onto something in terms of really incorporating that in a regular way. All right. Great. So I feel like my takeaway is that honoring everyone's feelings and that they're valid and that, you know, and just like that it doesn't have to be solved. It's just kind of is what it is right now. I think that's the really, I think that's in general, this message of this time, if we think about parenting right now, and if you think about what adults have trouble with, it's never fixing a problem and it's never dealing with the feelings after you've solved a problem. What's hard about this time is that we're just living in a tough time and there's not an easy solution and there's so much unknown. So if you think about our kids right now and what we have the chance to kind of do in terms of building a circuit inside them that they will then be able to draw from for the rest of their lives, what kids need help with isn't solving a tantrum or ending a tantrum. It's trying to find their feet and their good enoughness and feeling supported when they're having the tantrum, right? Because the kid remembers a mom who of course, or dad or any caregiver, who of course says, I won't let you hit or I'm not going to let you destroy the room, right? That's like step one. You have to stop the damage because if a kid's meltdown leads to danger or damage, then they learn that their feelings really are as out of control as they feel. So Uh, step one at the damage. I won't let you, I won't let you hit. I won't let you throw that baseball in the house or whatever it is. But then I think following up with, I say to my kids a lot, especially when they're in the midst of a big tantrum, just, I'm here. I'm here. Feel it. Let it out. <laughs> You're allowed to feel this way, right? I won't let you hit. You're allowed to feel this way. I won't let you throw that ball. You're allowed to feel this way. It's okay. I'm here. And when kids internalize a kind of safe presence when they're having a big feeling, then what we're really building in their bodies as a circuit is when I have a big feeling that's distressing, my body also remembers a support supportive, loving adult right next there. I have the chills. I could cry because, right? I I mean, like, it's just feeling like how I would love, I mean, I would love that feeling with me. Yeah. (laughs) We're all trying to do for ourselves, right? And like, we can help our kids with that early on so that when they get fired from a job or feel overwhelmed in a college class, that their body right next to the distress is also going to have a little warmth, Mm -hmm. right? And that makes all the difference in getting through a really tough time. Oh, how wonderful. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work. You know what's easy? Bundling policies with GEICO. GEICO makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. 
It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to Geico.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. All right. Uh, my kids' immune systems are always on my mind. I want to keep them as healthy as possible. And that's why they use Child Life Zinc. So this was developed by a pediatrician, which is super important for me, by the way. And it's non-GMO, gluten-free, and made with natural ingredients. And it may help your child get the essential nutrition they need that isn't obtained through diet. So you can follow them on Instagram at Child Life Essentials, or you could go check out their website, childlifenutrition.com. It's amazing. It tastes good. And your kids will love it while making their immune systems really strong. Go to findtheheart.com to download a $1 off coupon for anywhere Child Life Essentials products are sold. You're listening to Mama Said with Jamie and Jenna. I have two more questions. Okay. I know before we get to Jenna. <laughs> uh, one is, um, why are you not a fan of praise? Of what? Praise. 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 So why am I not a fan of praise? My well, brain, what, does, what does that mean? Totally. No, my brain is more like pinging in a million directions. So I always try to just collect myself and see which one is loudest, where I want to start. So I guess what I'll start with is I'm a very big fan of kids figuring out who they are for themselves. I'm a very big fan of kids growing. Like if I want my kids to say one thing about me when they're older, I want them to say like, wow, my mom really let me figure out who I was and always made me feel on that journey that, you know, I was safe and kind of okay. She really got to know many different parts of me um, until I kind of settled on the parts that felt right. And she really helped me do that on my journey. I don't know. I mean, I might, you'll never say that. No one really talks that way, but like, that would be the idea. Well, I mean, that's like, I'm thinking myself right now, like that's all the work I've been doing on myself the past couple of years. It's like, who am I? Like without all these like ideas of what I should be, like who am I? And to think that we could give our kids an opportunity to just know that as children, when they're as free as they ever could be. Yeah. Right. I mean, right. We'll save a lot of money in therapy. That's for that's sure. <laughs> it would just be nice for them. I mean, right. So both, but, um, so as a result, like given that framework that kids are predisposed to have to pick up on the messages their parents give them of who they are, because there's nothing as important to a kid from an evolutionary standpoint, as attaching to their parents. It's more than food, shelter, or water. They need to attach to their parents because parents are people who give kids food, shelter, and water, right? It's literally core to survival. Our species can't survive for so many years on its own. So you need to attach. And as a result, what that really means is kids are always looking out for what versions of themselves are kind of best or most lovable or most attachable to their parents and which parts of them aren't. And anytime I say that to a parent, someone's like, oh, I love all the parts of my kids, but kids are, kids are, you know, they're crafty. They, they pick up on these cues. And so one of the things with praise is we are basically saying to our kid, that thing you just did, that, that part's really, really good, that you need to be more of that. And going back to the idea of our kid trying to figure out who they are, that we can really easily mess up a kid's journey of figuring out who they are by through that attachment relationship by kind of showing them who we think they need to be, right? So that, I think, is kind of a foundational idea, that when we praise our kids, we're really saying, this is my value system, and I want you to do more of that thing. Then that 
always overpowers a kid's idea of trying to trying to figure things out for themselves because of that mechanism that says you really have to be who your parent wants you to be. Like that's yeah. really, really important. Going back to also that idea of like, kind of like you said, Jamie, knowing who you are on the inside. And I think as an adult, we all know what that means. Like when we struggle with that or when we don't, that knowing who you are on the inside means that I have a good barometer for figuring out whether I think I did a good job, whether I think something was in my value system, how I felt about a certain situation, how I thought that report went. If I think I should get a raise at my job, whatever it is, like I have a voice that can assess that. And when we rely on praise a lot with our kids when they're young, they really, really struggle to refine that voice because they learn other people outside of me have a better barometer for what's good and what's bad than I do, right? So I, I, you know, I, I'm, um, I often think about something a client said to me, and she was like, kind of had this amazing way with language where she said, when I'm with my friends, I feel like this room and it's just like colorful and amazing. And when I'm by myself, I feel like I'm just in like an, I have like empty white walls. Like that's what, and I could like cry thinking about this. And I feel like that makes me think about praise that when we shower our kids with praise, we're like, look how amazing you are. And when you hold back a kid really kind of in that vacuum is able to figure out like, Oh, I feel really good about my magnetile tower. I feel pretty good about, you know, this art I created. And so yeah. more concrete about this, kids pull for praise a lot, right? They pull for, what do you think about my drawing? And I think it's actually pretty simple, the language. And you say, it's like, oh, well, hmm, what do I think? Well, you know what, sweetie, that's your art. It's kind of an interesting thing, right? Like, how could I know what feels good to you? You're the only one in your body. What, what do you think about that? You know, mom, I'm just asking you if you think it's good. And I'll really play this with my kids really hard. I'll be like, Sweetie, look, I know it sounds like a simple question. It's just, it's really tricky. Like, how could I know how you end up feeling about something? I didn't make it. What I do know is you worked really independently on that. That's something I really noticed. What I do notice is you use so many different colors. I'm so curious how you chose to do that, right? That's the difference between saying that's great versus questions that I think are amazing in terms of building a kid's sense of self. How did you say, I'm proud of you? So that's a tricky one too, I think. And look, we're all normal human beings. Do I say to my kids, great job? Do I say I'm proud of you? Of course. Like we don't want to monitor every part of our language. Yeah. But I think it's worthwhile to consider it as a framework. So I'm proud of you is another tricky one, right? There's like a little bit of pressure there, right? So yeah. I think also sometimes we believe that we need to control our kids to get them to be good kids. So we need to, and I didn't say this. I think Tova Klein says this, but she's like, praise is just sugar-coated control. And I, I think that's kind of really true. Yeah. And I think it comes from a lack of trust that if we don't say to my kid, I, kid, I'm really proud of you for doing all your homework as if like he won't find it within him to be intrinsically motivated to do his homework. And again, if we fast forward to our adulthood, you know what wears off as soon as it comes in? External praise. We know that. You get praise and it doesn't last. It goes right out and you need the next dose and you need the next dose. It never sticks. Right. Yeah, so don't get it that you think you did something wrong. Exactly. Right. And I think that, look, you kind of referred to that, Jamie, to me, the work I do with most of the adults in therapy is, yeah, can I find my own voice to say, hey, I don't know what my boss is going to think of this project, but I really worked hard on this. And I know that. And I feel pretty proud of this, at least. And right. To me, there's just a, like, we don't want the gap for our kids between their voice 
and their need for external praise to be that wide. Everyone feels better when someone says something nice to them, but we don't want the gap to be so massive. So I think when you say I'm proud of you, like, I just think, yeah, I would put an asterisk on that. Like, is there another way to say something that maybe doesn't exert control? And usually those things that we shift to orient our kids back to themselves instead of getting our kids to look to us to give them a positive reflection of them back to them, right? So what do you think about the fact? I noticed you did your whole math worksheet all by yourself. Huh, that's the first time you've done that. What do you think about that, right? That to me is a better line of questioning when, when we think to go that way. Okay. So helpful. Yeah. So much to think about. It is. You know, the thing I, I would say, I think that also within praise, there's things we praise in kids that really are external oriented kind of measures and there's things we can praise in kids that have to do with really something in their control right so if I watch my son playing baseball I feel pretty okay I think about saying to him wow I noticed your friend second baseman dropped the ball you seem frustrated but I noticed you told him hey you'll get it next time that was like a really amazing moment I watched like such kindness and such thoughtfulness to me that's different than oh my God, you hit two home runs, right? Notice your sportsmanship was really great, right? And I think I'm saying it now, but noticing to your kids is I think a much more powerful way of phrasing things than proud. I noticed you finished your homework. I noticed you remembered to bring your jacket home today versus I'm proud of you for. I've had one moment, and I think I've talked about it on this show, is that um, I can remember as a child. And it came to me because I had a similar moment with my son where anytime I'd have an audition or anything, my mom would be like, how did they, did they love you? Were you the best? Like blah, blah, blah. And so that, and I know she was doing the best she could, but that was like a lot of the stuff that I heard. And my son is very athletically gifted. And when, you know, when he's on the baseball field, there's a part of me that was like wanted, or like when he comes home from practice, I want to be like, did the coach love you? But, but I stopped myself mm-hmm. because I was like, it's like a, had like a flash, like a movie of like how bad I would feel when I was asked that. And I was like, did you have fun? And he's like, I had so much fun. I was like, awesome. Great. That's all. That's all I'd ever want for you to have. And now that's my only question I ever ask him um, because, I, again, I know my mom like meant well, but it was really harmful to me. And it was really hard for me to be asked those questions as an eight-year-old, nine-year-old little girl then through my whole life down. because I was going to let her down and I was letting everyone else down. And if I didn't get it or if I wasn't the best, I failed. Right. And, you know, and I, have mm-hmm. – go ahead. You know, I think going back to that audition, right, I love the idea of like to do a fun, but I think if you think about the power to a kid, again, who, when you're a kid, you're literally building your body in terms of how you start seeing the world. So you come back from something important, an audition, a baseball game, and your body learns what matters now. Even the question, how did you, Jamie, how do you think the audition went? What did you feel good about? What did you feel not as good about? What do you want to do differently next time? What was surprising? Those are all questions about you. Versus when you say, what did someone else think? All of a sudden, my body as a kid is saying, okay, so something happens and my body says, oh, what, what, what is everyone thinking of me? That's what my yeah. body will learn. So then you fast forward 30 years, of course, that's our instinct, right? Yeah. That yeah. yeah. It's so funny how just changing a, a few simple words can have such a great outcome. Yeah, I think that's, it's, you know, and I get these amazing stories back on Instagram. Like I just, I feel like the people in this community are so amazing and they, they say that they're like, wow, 
I was saying to myself in my head, my kid's nine, I've been messing this up for so long. Have I messed up my kid forever? And I think that's what every parent thinks. And yeah. then I get, they're like, I've done a couple of the things you said for like a week. And like my kids already like, wow, kids are so, they bounce yeah. back. Like it was, you know, and I think that's really true. Yeah. They're so eager to be seen and known that when you start shifting from external validation, which is really praised to internal validation, mm-hmm. they, they eat it up. They let you know it feels really good. Yeah. yeah. Hey mamas, I'm going to talk about something that we all struggle with and it is getting our children to sleep. I mean, my goodness, it takes a long time. I mean, it used to take me, I'm not kidding, 20 minutes and then my kids started sharing a room and it went from 20 minutes to two hours. So I needed to fix the situation fast. And that's when I discovered Mashi. It's an amazing app. It is the number one sleep and mindfulness audio app for kids. And it features hours of bedtime stories, soothing music, relaxing sounds, and mindfulness meditation tracks to relax the kids while nourishing their creativity and imagination. And you guys also, Mashi is science-backed and proven to help kids fall asleep faster, stay asleep longer, and reduce night wakings. I mean, if that doesn't sound good to you, then I don't know what does. And it gets even better. Every Mashi story is completely original, created from scratch by their multi-award-winning team of writers and composers. Mashi's library even includes exclusive stories narrated by very special guests, including Goldie Hawn, my favorite, and Patrick Stewart. And people really love Mashi because it really works. You guys take it from me. I have the app and it is incredible. So download the Mashi app on the App Store or Google Play Store and get access to a one-week free trial of Mashi Premium. That's the Mashi app on the App Store or Google Play Store and get access to a one-week free trial of Mashi Premium. This is Mama Said with Jamie and Jenna. Well, I'm, I'm about to embark on a situation that's going to be what I think uh, challenging for my family. So we're moving and, um, you know, we've moved before, but Milo was really young and now I have two kids there. Um, he's almost five. And then, uh, my daughter is two and a half and we are moving out of our home. The only home that they've really known to remember. And I've talked about it for a long time. They know where we're moving, but also, uh, they're going to a new school and they haven't been in school since the shutdown in March. But instead of going back to that school, we are moving. So now they're going to a whole new school. We've talked about it a lot. We're also moving into a completely different area of LA. They also know that. So this, is a, this has been a long time coming. But um, I guess I just want to know the, what I can do to prepare myself for what probably will be a very hard transition for myself, my husband, sleep, my kids, the questions about school, what I'm about to witness from them, their behaviors, like what can I do to make it as easy as possible on my relationship with my husband? And what can I say right now to my kids? We have about a week left or maybe less in our house. Um, what can I, what can I do? What, what are the little things I can do to make it smooth and easy transition with all of those things happening? Great. I I love this topic because I actually have so many thoughts about moves specifically, but I also think, and for anyone listening, it's such a great topic to zoom out on because Jen, I feel like what you're really saying is like, there's going to be big changes and how do we prepare kids for big changes, right? What do we talk about, what do we not talk about, and how do we, you know, just ease that transition. So one of the big ideas I think a lot about- And might even take notes. (laughs) Yeah. um, Is that- 
we often think information scares kids. I hear this all the time in my practice. My kid's so young. I don't want them to know about this. I want to protect them from this. I, I, I will stand by this. I'll write it on my gravestone. Like information doesn't scare kids. It's yeah. absence of information that terrifies kids because kids are evolutionarily designed to notice changes in their environment to assess yeah. threat safety. And if they see a change that's not labeled for them, they have to assume it's danger to survive. Mm. Right? You have to think a rustling in the forest is a tiger before your parent says, oh, it's just a squirrel or else as a species, we wouldn't be in a good place. Right? So mm. when kids notice things that parents don't talk to them about or don't prepare them for, they're going to have big reactions. And the other really sad thing I think is as a kid, if the changes you notice aren't labeled for you, you also have to start doubting yourself. Oh, I must be wrong. I mean, if this was a really big deal, my adults right. would mean it for me. And that's really sad. So I think it sounds like you're doing this, but as many unfamiliar things as we can make familiar, the better. So if you know the house you're moving to, like pictures, if you have a video tour, like I, if it was me, would probably cut out a little picture of my child. And even on the screen of the camera, I'd be like, look, you're in your room. Oh, there you are, Alex. You're in your room. It's not really. It's like a little picture of him in the screen. Yeah. But when he gets to that room and there's a blue carpet, a, his body won't feel like it's as new than right. because you've done this, right? A new school, the same thing. Driving by it, getting pictures, getting pictures of new teachers, getting pictures of the classroom. Like Just the more we can have a child's body feel like, oh, I've seen this before, mm-hmm. then it activate our threat system, right? Which is always comes before our logic system. And it's hard because we're jumping into a school that has already started. So we're not getting that like new teacher thing, you know, like it's just kind of being, it's kind of just going to be like, we're going in. Uh, And I actually have emailed, I I just emailed the director being like, can you like set, you know, I asked her, is there anything I can do to prepare them? Like, is there a fun supplies list that you want? You know, I haven't heard anything. So so I just, I just emailed her asking that. And I'm going to ask for pictures of the teachers because, you know, we're not allowed to during the, oh, and on top of all this, it's a pandemic. So it's like the quadruple whammy. Um, I would definitely get pictures of the teachers if they would Zoom, I could. But one of my favorite things to do in the transition to school is to start using the teacher's names in conversation with your kids. So if you know they have Miss Catherine, when you're having breakfast tomorrow and you're having bagels, be like, I wonder if Miss Catherine eats bagels. What do you think? Or yeah. you know what Miss Catherine's going to love to hear about? All of your soccer. Cannot wait to tell her on Tuesday. And again, what's happening in their bodies is by the time they start, mm. Catherine feels like mommy's friend, but like she's incorporated into our world, right? So I think that's one set of things. How many things can I just make familiar? Yeah. And then I would also say that agency is a huge part of a move for kids. One of the hardest parts of moves for kids is that they feel done to, right? They're like, I don't ask for this, right? right. So we don't really want to undo that because I think that's also really powerful to say to kids, I know you probably wouldn't have wanted this and we're doing it. And nobody likes to have things happen that they didn't plan for, right? right. But how we can give them a little agency, it's just huge to pack up your own box and carry it out of your own house mm. and unpack it in your new one. It also oh it makes concrete the transition, right? So I, would, so I would definitely do that. Get the Amazon box, have your kid's name, put the special things. And I actually think you and your partner, if you all, you have four boxes, each of you carry it out. Right. And it feels like they're making the move instead of having the move done to them. Right. It, really huge. Um, 
That's interesting. I'm like, actually, so we're moving into a place that they're very familiar with, um, which is great. I'm actually more worried on the flip side of us just kind of leaving behind somewhere that I'm not really, um, I, I, I've been so focused on, we're moving to this place that you're going to love, but what about the place that we're leaving behind? What can I do? I don't want to jolt them. And I've, I've, they've known for months. Um, and we talk about, it. I always ask my son, I say, what are your feelings about moving? Are you, uh, are you feeling sad? Are you feeling happy? Are you feeling excited? Uh-huh. I don't know if I'm, that's a good thing, but, but I always want to gauge what he's feeling. And then he always, he's, he's like, I'm mad. I'm mad. And then some days he'll be like, I'm so excited. We're going to be near Bubby and Papa. And, you know, and then some days he'll be like, I don't ever want to leave this house. You can't take me away. So it's more like, um, am I doing enough for them, for him, especially my son to feel like, um, this, you know, I don't want him to grieve that house. Yeah. So I think in a concrete way, taking pictures of your kids at the house before they leave is also important to make a little album. But what comes to mind is just, and it actually reminds me of how we started the conversation with Jamie is, I think also we know as adults, one of the hardest things is feeling multiple things at once. I often think I want to prepare my kids for that, but you don't have to choose, right? It's not like today I feel happy, tomorrow I feel sad. It's like I probably have parts of me that feel both. And I love with kids using that and making it concrete. So it would be saying to your kid, you know, I know we keep talking about what way do you feel each day, but here's an interesting idea. Do you know that our bodies can feel multiple feelings? Mm. And I like to make this concrete for my kid. I did this when I was having a second baby with my oldest. So I'd like touch my arm and I'd be like, it's possible for this part of your body to feel sad. And then maybe my other arm and this part could feel excited and your belly, this part could feel mad. And maybe that's not probably where the feelings are located, but it's really the idea that our whole body can have many things going on. And this is an idea so many families tell me. They're like, oh my God, my kid literally comes to me and says now, they touch an arm and they're like, this part of my body feels this. And this part, which again, gives a kid agency to understand what's happening for them. I love that word agency. Yeah. Right? It's- like they feel in charge a little bit, right? Yeah, so they feel like the boss. Yeah. I think that's really powerful because it also helps us as parents. So when our kid says, later, oh, I'm mad, or, right, we can remember, yeah, like, a part of you feels that way. We always have a part of us that feels a certain way. We don't go into, oh, my God, I'm such a bad mom. I messed up my kids. Like, just, yes, like, we're supposed to feel multiple things at once. You know, that's how I feel right now. I'm having, like, a, have been having a really hard time for the past week and a half. I know my body, and I know when I'm on the extreme side of anxious, and I know that moves for everyone is one of the hardest things you could ever do. But like, I almost can't, like, I am, I am so anxious that I am so mentally and physically exhausted that I'm going to bed earlier than I've ever gone to bed before. Not because like I'm happy and, and just in my bed watching TV. It's because I literally, it feels like I'm like, it feels like how I felt when I was pregnant, like that insane tiredness that you like, I sometimes, sometimes in the past few weeks, I haven't even brushed my teeth. Like I lay in bed in my clothes and I pass out and that I'm feeling all those things. I'm feeling like really excited, really nervous, really anxious. Like my body, I'm like, is moving a million miles a minute. And I also, um, to the point where I almost feel like I cannot focus on my children right now. And that's, and I know this, this too shall pass. Moving is really, really hard, but I'm getting more help. 
because I'm not going to be a martyr and say like, I'm not going to get help for my kids. But then I'm saying like, I can't take care of my kids. I I'm getting more help for these two weeks. Um, but I'm, I'm so checked out in my brain right now that like, I just put my kids in front of the TV and then I feel guilty about the TV. And then I have no strength to play with them right now. I, during this time, I, I feel really guilty. So a couple things come to mind when you're talking about that. Number one, when you were talking about the move and your kids, right? To me, the most powerful thing we have to ask ourselves all the time as parents is just, what is this bringing up for me? Right? Because I think that really helps to say, okay, my guess, Jenna, is your kids are going to be fine. Like, yeah. Kids are so resilient. They'll have some moments. They'll miss this. Right? But you're saying, yeah, like I am struggling. There's loss. There's worry. And yeah, that's so normal and just so human. And I think where that comes to parenting is just owning that very directly. Going back to when kids see parents extra tired or extra stressed or extra fighty with their dad or mom. Mm-hmm. And that's not explicitly labeled for them. That's so scary. And then again, the things that they notice and bring up big emotions that aren't talked about and that they're not given a story to understand, kids do have to self-blame because it's always better to have control than feel out of control for a kid. So even say a lot of that, mommy has big feelings about moving. And sometimes our big feelings get so big, they make us tired. I don't know if you notice, mommy is tired from her feelings. And you're labeling something. Exactly. Right. Because when kids have a feeling that isn't labeled, it just exists as a set of sensations in their body. And that has to cycle and cycle and cycle. As soon as you label it, you do something called, you give them a coherent narrative, right? People really think that's what therapy is as an adult. It's the process of making a coherent narrative about your own life. (laughs) And again, thinking about getting a head start with our kids. Then your kids say, oh, that's why mommy seems like she's not as able to play with us. And I think it'll help your guilt because labeling difficult things for kids is so important. We're not setting our kids up for a life of perfection. They're going to have difficult times. Yeah. And it's such an easy, simple task that for some reason, us parents are either afraid to do or we think it'll harm them. But in, in turn, it really just gives them an opportunity to like think by themselves and say, okay, mommy is tired maybe I'll just play by myself or, or maybe when they're having trouble, maybe, you know, I think it comes out also in like sleep for kids, right? Like they, I I see my son having a really hard time falling asleep right now. And we're going through that and I'm trying to be really sensitive, but I'm also really tired. Um, But maybe if I talk to him and I'm just honest with him more, yeah, in turn, he'll just say, you know what, mommy might be going through a rough time. Maybe I should give her a little break and, and try to go to sleep. And maybe he's just, I remember, I remember, remember what happened when I talked to Bo? Yeah. Cause Bo was giving me a little bit of a hard time for a while about going to bed. And I just sat with him and I was like, yo buddy, I need you to understand that all day I worry about you and did you eat? And are you in school? And are you safe? And are you happy? And then I worry about your brother and I worry about all of those things. And then I have to make sure that mommy ate and is mommy safe? At the end of a day, sometimes I just need to think about me. And it's when you're safe in bed and you're getting your rest and I know you've had a great day. Like I just need a little bit time just for me. And it was like a light bulb went off. I don't know if that was the right thing to do, but he saw me as like human. Yeah. And he saw me as somebody that like he he kind of got it. Like he and this when he was able to express emotions to me about how he's feeling about COVID and school 
was on a day where I had a vulnerable moment in front of him where mm-hmm. I was just kind of crying and he, and he came over to me and said, I'm sorry, you're having a bad day. And then that night he said, can I tell you about something that I'm feeling? So he kind of was like seeing, I guess that it was safe to have yeah. feelings. Yeah. I also think with sleep and it's funny, I'm, I'm running a sleep seminar on Tuesday because sleep is such a that's our first listener question is about sleep. Yeah. Right. Um, but there's a million things I can talk for hours about sleep, but one of the things, right. That I think a lot about is kids respond to the versions of themselves. We reflect back to them going back to that attachment idea. Right. And we, we don't say enough to our kids when they're struggling with something. I trust you that blank. I trust that you'll be able to fall asleep. I have full faith that even when you're nervous, you're going to be able to fall asleep. And it's not like I say that and it's like, poof, magic, right? No. That's an important thing for our kids to hear, right? And I think so often we don't say the opposite, but they pick up on our anxiety about it, which kind of confirms to them that we also don't have faith that going to sleep, right? And then we end up reinforcing the behavior we're trying to change, which is never, right, can never be that successful. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Well, tell me, so if it's okay, we're going to go to this first listener question, which she said, I have a four-year-old who's always been a 12 to 13 hour a night, perfect sleeper. Then COVID hit without the routine, no friends, no leaving the house. He started coming into our room all of a sudden every night. We scooped him up, let him sleep with us. And we thought it would only be for a couple of weeks. Flash forward six months of him doing this. And now we're back in modified school, a regular routine. And we even got him a big boy bed. And he still comes in. And now it's multiple times a night. And he cries when we put him to bed. What do we do? I want my bed back, but I want him to be happy too. Great. So this is an impossible question to answer in like a short amount of time. But I will talk about goals that I think are critical. Um, And I have a lot on this on my Instagram, like a whole hashtag. I think it's like Dr. Sleep with a lot of ideas. But you have to start attacking sleep problems during the day, not at night. I think it's the biggest thing families do wrong. Sleep is separation. I think that's a really critical thing that, right? Sleep is a form of separation. It's a huge form of separation because kids separate for 12 hours and they're alone in the dark, right? So that's yeah. really scary. I remember my kid once said, they're like, how come you adults get to sleep with other adults, but kids sleep alone? I was like, I don't have a good question answer yeah. for you. That's a really good point. It's not so fair, right? So I think that's really important. So look for times during the day around separation that you're telling yourself, we're going to handle night after I firm up the separation issues that are probably happening during the day too. So when I go to the bathroom, when I drop off at school, when the kid's alone and getting into a routine is really, really important. A short mantra, right? Like mommy always comes back or my body is safe or I can take a deep breath. And I would practice that in daytime separations, right? I also think my number one sleep kind of during like attacking it during the day strategy, which is also really, really helpful with clinginess is If you think about a kid who is coming into a mom's bed or having trouble with separation at night, they're having a hard time accessing the part of them that feels fine on their own. And often when this happens, we need to reverse roles. So I play the together all the time game with my kids all the time. It's the first thing I do when my kids have separation issues at day or night, which would sound like this. So let's say I have a son named Alex and he's finally happily not being on my body. He's a four-year-old. He's playing Play-Doh. I grab Alex and give him a huge hug. And I would say... Oh, me and you, Alex, you to be together all the time. And I'd like walk around with him. And at this point, usually a kid's laughing because they think it's funny. Yeah. I'd 
whole time and I'm going to jump like this and I have to go to the bathroom. You have to sit on me. It's going to be so weird, but we have to be together all the time, all the time. And inevitably the kid says, mom, let go. And I'd say, no, no, no. We have to be together every single second. And then the kid usually says, mom, let's go. And then you can kind of have the money line where you let go and say, okay, I'll let go. I know mommy and Alex always come back together. Yeah. I can be safe on my own for a little bit. I have the chills as I think about that too. And what you're doing there is something insanely powerful because you're helping your kid access the part of them that wants to be without you, which is usually the opposite of a sleep yeah. issue, right? So my kids, when they're going through sleep problems, they probably ask to play this game 40 times a day, all the time. So there's more stuff during the day, but if I transition tonight, we have to, I would tell this family to start with the going to bed. Right. And I think the thing that most parents don't want to hear, but I'm going to say it is when your kid is having a sleep issue, they're not being manipulative. They're not trying to give you a hard time. They are, mm-hmm. they are scared. And that's important to really assume is true. And I would say if your kid doesn't want you to leave the room and is crying, we have to make them feel safe going to bed before they feel safe putting themselves back to bed at two in the morning. That has right. to go in that order. And sometimes that means doing something we don't want to do, which is staying in the room. And I would say, I like the idea of like, slowly the, the back out where the first That's couple are doing and then you're further away from the bed and then you're at the door frame and then you're outside the door but you tell them when they're quiet you'll check on them which is the opposite of yeah. checking them when they scream for you and then at night what has to be said with a kid like what I would say to this mom is we have to be warm but firm when, when you're ready to do it say when you come into bed at night I'm going to walk you back to your bed mm-hmm. I'm going to remind you you're safe and every time I'm going to do it. We don't want to do that a lot because we're like, oh, I'm tired. But then a kid gets mixed messages, right? Yes. It's not about manipulating us, but they, they're they not sure we feel so sturdy with them being on their own. So why would they feel sturdy being on their own? So that, yeah. that, that's, I think, a start. It's a lot of hard work that will pay off big time. I mean, hard work for the parents for what, a week or two? Yes. Well, that pays and off. I can only really imagine... And I can only imagine the more confident the parent is and saying like, this is what's going to happen. It makes the kid feel safe in their confidence, right? That's exactly right. I also think that that's going to happen, the walk back in the middle of the night. I think the role playing that is huge because it makes you feel more confident when you do it. So let's pretend, sweetie, you're going to bed. Okay, come and get me and have the kid at five in the afternoon, at two in the afternoon, actually pretend to come get you and you walk back where yes. you're actually, again, making that more familiar and you'll have more confidence doing it knowing mm-hmm. your kid already knows what's yep. going on. Yeah. Yep. All right. So one more question, yeah. if that's okay. All right. So um, this is from Melissa. She says, how do I get my kids to stay at the dinner table and eat or calm down at night? Great favorite meals, but they play under the table, run all over the house. I end up screaming at them to get back to the table. My husband and I always feel that between 5 and 8 p.m. are the worst with kids, a.k.a. the garbage hours. I love my girls, but I always dread those hours with them. Same. Plus, it stresses us out so much that we start to argue. We are both tired from our jobs, both working full time. How do we make these hours easier for us and our girls? So I'm not sure how old these kids are, but... You can say, yeah. Right. I think a go-to strategy, I would even start it when kids are really young, is like what I consider like a team meeting approach. That we, we, we often forget to include our kids in family system problems, right? Mm-hmm. We're including them, again, with that idea of agency. Let them feel part of something. Let them feel like we see them as brainstorming partners. So if this was my family, I'd say, hey, let's talk about this. Dinner has been a disaster for you, for me, for dad, the whole family. Nobody likes it. And you know what I thought about? 
when I am at work and there's a problem we meet as a team. Well, you guys are an important part of this team. The four of us are going to sit down and brainstorm some ideas. I'll be flexible. I'm sure you'll be flexible too. We all are working toward the same goal. And there, what I'm really doing is again, I'm reflecting back the version of my child. I want more mm-hmm. of not you're so stubborn and you only have it your way. Right. like, and we're going to come up with ideas. And then I brainstorm ideas and literally write down every single one. That's key to a team meeting being effective. Because when you write down someone else's thought, it's a way of saying, I respect your opinion. And again, we get that seen feeling. That's right yeah. out of how to talk so your kids will listen and listen so your kids will talk, which is the best parenting book in the world. Right. And then I'd come up with some ideas. I think as a parent, you have to remember that kids are not meant to be sitting at the table eating food, especially at dinner when they're exhausted. They are meant to be exploring. So I think we have to reset our expectations. But I think if you do that and you include them with some ideas, hey, what, what song would you like to play when we're eating dinner? What Maybe we should brainstorm a little bit about the meal together. Maybe if it was something you liked a little more, or if I was this parent hearing her frustration, if it was me in the team meeting, I'd say, does not wanting to stay at the dinner table have anything to do with the fact that mommy's probably pretty crabby and distracted by the time mm-hmm. dinner comes. Yeah. Like, and let yeah. my kids have a chance to laugh. And like, yeah, you're usually in a pretty bad mood. And then we'd laugh about it and it would start to change it because we connected over something that had previously felt really bad. Yeah. And I, I would have to set my set mindset. I'd say, you know what? My goal is to have one good minute. And if I have one good minute, yeah. and then I can run away. Okay. And then the next day, maybe two minutes. Mm-hmm. I have a quick question. Um, what I've, I keep like, um, there's this random shelf in behind the counter that we sit and I've been keeping the ki- some kids books in there. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I, and I've, sometimes I read to them when they're eating yeah. And I always forget. And every time I pull out a book, when I want them to sit, they sit down. I'm like, why don't I do this like every night? Is that okay? Or is that not okay? So like, I think like a, you know, a purist would say we want our kids to sit and eat and attend and, you know, and I love the idea of our kids being mindful eaters and paying attention to their body. Right. I also think a big part of having good meals is most kids just don't need nearly the amount of snacks that they're having that if they have a couple of pretzels at three, they're just not going to have a reason they're to not gonna have a good meal. Yeah. Agreed. But do I think books are better than iPads? A hundred percent. Nothing better than books, I guess. But, you know, I, I, do, I, mean, I do that too sometimes. It's just, and I feel like it's a way of ground. Everyone grounds. It also, I think it's helpful for us as a parent. We have a narrative to read. Our body's calm. Yeah. So what I would say is, you know, I think that as much as possible, we want to try to encourage our kids to connect to their bodies and connect to what they're eating and see mealtime as a time where your kind of family's coming together. But when you feel like a book is going to help you do that, a hundred percent give yourself permission okay. in the real world. A hundred percent. Right. Okay. And I think you can even play around with that. We're going to read and then we're going to take three deep breaths and kind of, you know, mm-hmm. sit at the table for a minute and see what we yeah. want to eat. And then I'm going to read again. Right. There's a yeah. way to kind of be flexible around that. Okay. Uh, well, you're, I mean, I could literally talk to you all day. You're such a wealth of information. Um, so everybody, <clears throat> we're, we're not going to let her go. We're going to make a share a shitty mommy, but to wrap it up, it's Dr. Becky at home. Her Instagram will change your life. Again, I, like I said to her in the beginning, every, every post of hers, may, I feel like it was just for me. She's the yeah. best. So we'll be right back and we're going to make uh, Becky share a shitty mommy. One of my favorite memories growing up would always be eating cereal and like reading the back of the cereal box. And I would have my choice of which kind of fun flavor I was going to have that morning. But 
And now that I'm an adult, I realize how much sugar and junk was in those cereals that I was eating. And I've been trying to cut down on my sugar, eat healthier, have more protein in my diet. So I am so glad to introduce you guys to Magic Spoon. Magic Spoon has the amazing flavors that you love, but without all the bad stuff in it. There's zero sugar, 11 grams of protein, and only three net grams of carbs in each serving. And they have the favorite flavors. They've got cocoa, fruity, frosted, and blueberry. And I can tell you it is tastes amazing. It is honestly too good to be true. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and GMO-free. All the things that we need. So go to magicspoon.com slash mama to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use your promo code mama at checkout to save $5 off of your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. That's magicspoon.com slash mama and use the code mama to save $5 off. We thank Magic Spoon for sponsoring this podcast. Okay. So last night I was so tired. My husband was so tired. My kids were running around the house and it was a disaster. And the last thing I wanted to do was cook. And luckily we had dinner affair. And if you don't know what this is, it's the most amazing thing that comes to your door. It's frozen. I mean, the point is they literally do everything for you. They chop everything, they get everything ready and you could stick it in your freezer. So when you have nights like mine, like last night, when you literally have zero energy to cook, you guys, you just pop it out of the freezer and you make something delicious. So I made kebabs last night. Oh my God. They were so good. Well, all of their dinners are good. The lasagna is amazing. Onion chicken, but these kebabs were so incredible. I felt so proud of myself after I whipped this up. I can't tell you how quick and easy it was. They do all the work for you, all the chopping, all the cleaning, the mixing, everything is done for you and they prepare it so perfectly. So if you guys want to have an easy night off, but still eat amazing, you have to order Dinner Affair. So reset your habits this year and let Dinner Affair get you back on track with organization, eating healthy, and saving money, which is the best part. Get $30 off your first order with code MAMA when you buy online at dinneraffair.com. And that is D-I-N-N-E-R-A-F-A-R-E.com. And you guys use code MAMA for $30 off. This is Mama Said with Jamie and Jenna. Okay, we're back. All right. We hate to do this to you because we, we, we hold you on this pedestal, but it also makes us feel like we relate to you if you could share just one shitty mommy with us. Shitty mommy! Of course, I have so many, and I think that's important, right? The things I talk about on this, even on this podcast, I do them only a percentage of the time. That is 100% yeah my own kids. So, you know, I think my, my good Jenny mommy story is like the first week I was a mom and I had this like new mom friend and she was amazing. And I was like, Oh, this would be my good friend. And we have kids the same age and we were pushing our babies in New York city. And, you know, we get to a curb and, you know, I'm talking to her and I kind of just like let go of my stroller. And in the second, she's like, Oh, and gasped. And my stroller, I didn't realize there was a brake and that you have to like press the brake. And it is literally rolling onto West Street, like down into it, which is a very busy, you know, street in New York City. And my friend luckily sees this, my new friend, and grabs my 
and pulls it back and saves my first child's life. Oh my God. She looks at me and she like gave me this huge hug and she's like, oh my goodness, that could have been either one of us. And I was like, oh my God, you like are my best friend. And she is still one of my best friends. And nothing nothing as good as when someone sees us in those moments. Yes. Right? That's that's the mom tribe. That's it right there. It is. Well, Becky, again, thank you so much for all the advice you've given us. And we know that it's probably just helping so many of our listeners. And we're all, we're all in this together. We're all feeling it. Um, and we will leave you with a mama said. Remember, mama said, parenting is hard, especially trying to be patient with little versions of an impatient you. Love it. Thanks so much for listening to Mama Said. The Lady Gang Network is produced by Alex Imber, Will Sterling, and Steve Delamater. Thanks for rating and reviewing wherever you get your podcasts and tune in for new episodes every single week. We want to thank all our sponsors for this episode of Mama Said. They are Child Life Essentials. Go to findtheheart.com to download a $1 off coupon for anywhere Child Life Essentials products are sold. Geico. Whether you rent or own, Geico makes it easy to bundle home and car insurance. Go to geico.com today. Dinner Affair. Get $30 off your first order with code MAMA when you buy online at dinneraffair.com. That's D-I-N-N-E-R-A-F-A-R-E.com. Mashi. Download the Mashi app on App Store or Google Play Store and get access to a one-week free trial of Mashi Premium. Zycam, available on Amazon. Search for Zycam Nasal All Clear. That's A-L-L-C-L-E-A-R. Magic Spoon. Go to magicspoon.com slash mama to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code mama at checkout to save $5 off your order. My Walgreens. Join for free at mywalgreens.com and discover personalized deals, instantly earn unlimited rewards, and receive real-time local health alerts. And remember, all the info and links to these sponsors will be available in the show notes for this episode. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work. You know what's easy? Bundling policies with GEICO. GEICO makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to GEICO.com to get a quote and see how much you could save. It's GEICO easy. Visit GEICO.com today. That's G-E-I-C-O.com.